Do you sometimes wonder how you could truly have an impact when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging? How do you know you are moving in the right direction when it comes to becoming a more inclusive individual? As diverse as two peas in a pod brings topics such as ethnicity, genders, sexuality or religion on the table. We talk about research and science, but also emotions, feelings and vulnerability. We discuss allyship, advocacy and privilege. But most importantly, we took action. Because without action, we stay still. And when it comes to diversity, equity, inclusion and belonging, stillness is never the answer. Welcome to As Diverse as Two Peas in a Pod. Today's episode is all about biases, possibly the basis of any work about becoming more self-aware and starting our journey to become more inclusive individuals. I have had the pleasure to talk to Matthew Cahill, who is the CEO and President of Percipio Company. His deep expertise in cognitive, social and workplace biases is rooted in the belief that if you have a brain, you have bias. He helps executives reduce mental mistakes, strengthen workplace relationships, and disrupt existing bias within current HR processes, meeting protocols, and corporate policies. Matthew has demonstrated success with large clients like LinkedIn, Salesforce, and dozens of small to mid-sized companies looking to create more inclusive workplaces, work smarter, generate more revenue, and move from bias to belonging. Welcome to episode 12 of As Diverse as Two Peas in a Pod. Welcome, welcome to this episode of As Diverse as Two Peas in a Pod. Uh, Matthew, welcome. It's a pleasure to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Julian. Thank you for having me on uh, Two Peas in a Pod. I love that name. <laughs> I think yeah, it 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 took me a, a little bit of time to come up with the name, and I think it was the the idea that in principle we we all similar, we should be all the same. Um, that's at least what we want to aim for. But in reality, we're we're as diverse as as these two peas in a pod, indeed. Yeah, I'm sure we'll unpack this a little bit farther, but uh, you know the. The surface of those peas are our social constructs. So, mm-hmm. uh, the colors of our skin are uh, have been used for social constructs uh, to in very nefarious ways. But uh, I don't want to jump right into that yet. <laughs> well, let's let's start then and jump right in the discussion. But uh, to get to know you a little bit more, so Matthew, what's what's your story? Hmm. My story. Um, well, um, currently I'm in San Francisco, California. Um, I've often joked that San Francisco beneath the city itself, deep within the earth, there's a magnet that's attracting the, the weirdos and, and freaks from all over the planet. Like people come to San Francisco for eccentricity, for diversity, for all sorts of different ideas. Uh, and then, um, you know, sometimes they stay, sometimes they, uh, 
you know, they come into the city and they, this is for all walks of life, all orientations. They meet, they migrate, uh, they meet, they mate, and they migrate. And, uh, and they leave the city for something that's more similar, for that sameness, for that, that sense of comfort. And uh, I like to say my wife and I have bucked that trend. We stayed here in San Francisco. We have two children. Uh, we're living and working in San Francisco and um, making the most of it. Amazing. Amazing. Well, that's then based on that description, there's definitely a place I need to, to come and visit soon then. Oh my gosh, it is, I'm very biased to say, it is the most beautiful city on the planet. There's maybe some that are close, that were in the same, <laughs> you know, top five. Let's just be, a, I'll be a less biased uh, if I say it. <laughs> and you're talking to someone who comes from Paris, so that's going to be a difficult one to sell as well, possibly. Oh, ah, yes, 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 yes. But I'll definitely come in and, and check it out and, and make up my mind for sure. You have a place to stay. You're welcome to come. I'd love to, I'd love to make that happen. Brilliant. Well, you, were to, you started talking about biases, um, which is kind of what we're going to really dig into today, um, because that's the heart of your work, I believe. And um, yeah, I think I want to start with a very simple question, actually, that is probably the, the base of everything. How would you define what biases are? That's a great question to start with. It is the foundational question that I uh, use with all of my engagements is to get clarity on what that means. Mm -hmm. uh, because bias, it's, uh, you know, it's one of those slippery terms. Uh, one of those terms that uh, it's very contextual and means something different depending on the context. Mm -hmm. um, so I think at its very, very, very essence, bias is a, uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a preference. Uh, it's a, um, it's, it's a, uh, an unconscious um, motivator, uh, a, a way for our uh, brains, right? If we're talking about cognitive biases, And this is where I think it's important to distinguish um, because uh, if you're talking about cognitive biases, then there, is, there are these both stated and unstated preferences that come into play. And the field of research on cognitive biases has just exploded. There's well over 200 different named cognitive biases mm -hmm. that are mostly outside of our conscious awareness. Right, the preference definition plays into you know conscious biases. Like you, Julian, you have you like Paris over other cities, right? So you have a bias mm -hmm. for Paris, right? Um, that doesn't mean that you hate Rome, right, or London, but um, you know it's going to shape how you view those cities because you're going to be measuring it against your bias mm -hmm. for the city that you prefer. Yep. So I think cognitive biases are the most fascinating area to start conversations because they lead into something called social biases that I call social biases, mm -hmm. which is when bias is used in the context of gender or racial okay. bias or cultural bias or bias related to age or orientation or, um, you know, identification, right? Like, like that type of bias I think is best measured in behaviors 
not mm-hmm. necessarily thoughts because we all think stupid stuff sometimes like our brains are are infallible um and i think that when you when you are really trying to deepen your understanding of social biases you need to examine the behaviors and then it's those behaviors over time is how bias becomes institutionalized mm-hmm. and so what historical examples are slavery or patriarchy i mean those are institutionalized bias where the behaviors have become fortified into law right mm-hmm. and in and in the workplaces it gets into policies it gets all the way down into you know processes and 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 meeting protocols right that's how bias becomes institutionalized within the workplace mm-hmm. and once bias is institutionalized then it starts to shape the thoughts right of the incoming people or the people in that context and so i refer that whole conceptual model as the bias ecosystem mm-hmm. and so you know I, I i hope that gives you a, a very thorough um long-winded explanation as to how I view uh, biases. I, I think it's a great way to to put it together indeed. And um, what, one of the things it made me think about when you were talking about it is very often we associate biases to something that's quite negative. But then I often hear as well people saying, but some biases can be good. Um, what, what are your thoughts about that? Again, this is why it's critical to be precise with your language, Mm -hmm. right? Our our brains are infallible, and we often take for granted that language means what you think it does. Uh, But you speak more than one language. You know that that's inherently wrong, right? Like like language is Mm -hmm. very, very, very tricky. And, um, And so I think with bias, it's a really useful linguistic construct because uh, it's provocative enough. I think it's associated enough with negativity that mm-hmm. it, it captures your attention. Like there's something inherently like, oh, bias? Like I'm, I'm intrigued. Uh, but it's, it's also used in a positive context. You can have a bias of, of Paris over London or chocolate over ice cream, or mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's not something that's just uh, implicitly evil or wrong or or and it doesn't have necessarily legal complications right when you start talking about prejudice which is also a preference prejudice leads to discrimination Mm -hmm. these terms have legal complications much harder to have an authentic open dialogue if you're framing behaviors and characterizing them in the in those terms Mm -hmm. Um, it it makes sense completely and so the, the the a lot of the work you do is is with organizations and why why is it important for these organizations to kind of tackle these biases in the workplace and you talked about the the three different kinds around the the bias ecosystem um, I imagine you do some work on on each of them as well with any organization you work with yeah yeah uh, because you know, biases are, are part of human nature, right? Like, like, like this says here, if, 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 if you have a brain, you have bias, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and so their biases are impacting every business that's utilizing brains, right? Yep. Which is every business on the planet. So I think um, what's unique about bias, and I want to refer back to your uh, previous question for a moment, just to tie this thread together, is that 
I would actually argue that uh, when a company is really small, let's just say five to 10 people, right? It's the startup mm -hmm. getting off the ground. I would say a particular type of bias, like me bias, is actually a strength for that organization. Because if you look at the way businesses organically grow, it's because you have like-minded people and often they look the same, right? They at minimum have a shared set of values and shared perspectives and a lot, a high degree of trust. Mm -hmm. And those characteristics are critical when you're getting a business off the ground. And, uh, and, and, and so the, 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 the problem lies in that over time, if you over rely on that same bias and allow that to guide your decision making, mm -hmm. then you end up with a homogenous workforce, right? Yep. Then you end up on missing out on growth opportunities. Then you end up on missing out on market sector. And, you know, there's volumes of research that show diverse organizations outperform homogenous organizations. Mm -hmm. And it, it's, so it's not a question of, of, of if, you know, that bias is going to end up having a negative effect. It's just a question of when. Mm -hmm. I understand. And so one of the things you said that was very interesting, I think it relates as well to the, if you have a brain, you have a bias. You talked about, um, well, organizations that work with brains. That means that ultimately the, the work we're doing around creating a more diverse and a less biased organization actually is a work that is being done at an individual level mm -hmm. how how suddenly do you uh so in in the work you're doing how do you support the people in the organization to have less of these biases and i would imagine less of these what we would put probably in in um in the bucket of kind of negative biases or the biases that maybe hinder their growth or their development or whatever it might be behind that. How do you, how do you make that work happen? Oh, well, I think, you know, one approach is to start with individuals um, and, and make them, you know, not only more aware of their own cognitive biases, right? Mm -hmm. The biases that are just uh, helping them in some context make better decisions and then hindering them in other contexts towards making better decisions. Yep. Um, that's usually where this work starts, um, but it can't end there. And I think with your question about just biases, it's, uh, that's, that's almost an impossible um, task to take on without being more precise Mm -hmm. about what type of bias you're talking about. Okay. Uh, if, if you have, you know, an organization of, let's say, 100 people, uh, and 80 of them are all white men, right, there's probably some gender bias that's in play. Mm -hmm. uh, and that could stem from a like me bias, or, or maybe it's you know, the other way around. Maybe it's a woman led organization, and it's just all women, and they've now grown. So it's now 80 and they maybe have, you know, 10% men, right? Or, 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 you know, the question then becomes how long can you sustain that bias? Hmm. 
because eventually it's going to be counterproductive. So as, as an organization, then where do I start? If I want to kind of tackle these biases in the workplace, what's the best place to start? Um, there's a number of different starting points. I think it's, uh, I can't name a, a, you know, universal because it really depends on what the organization, you know, where they're at, right? Is it a small company? Is it a large mm -hmm. company? Are they having uh, retention issues? Are they having, um, you know, is it, is it, is the company growing? Is it growing by hiring brand new people? Is it growing through uh, acquisitions? Like, like there's so many variables that come into play that will determine where the conversation starts. Okay. So I don't know that there's a universal starting point. Um, with most of my clients that are for-profit organizations of varying sizes, I can put them into two buckets. One is they're very proactive. Mm -hmm. And I think those tend to be uh, companies that are overall younger, uh, companies that are in the tech sector. Uh, there's some consistent themes, I think, in the, in the proactive companies. They, they hear bias and they don't fear it. They think, yep. oh, I need to make sure I understand this because it's a, it, it, if I don't understand it, it becomes a real and present danger. And so those clients, I, I, you know, they're, they're, they're proactive, they're wonderful. We have a lot of different starting points. Uh, we could start with cognitive biases. Sometimes they want to go right in and do a deeper dive around you know, age bias, right? Or, or cultural bias, or you know, one of the other types of bias that they already see has potential for negatively impacting them. Mm -hmm. Then I have, uh, you know, this is a gross overgeneralization, but the other side of that coin is the reactive clients. And so these tend to be larger companies. These tend to be companies that have, you know, that are, are more rooted in, uh, you know, more traditional business models. Mm -hmm. uh, these are companies that, you know, may have had a very established status quo within their culture that's sort of grounded in, you know, uh, a white male archetype, right? Like everything is sort of on a corporate standard of, of these are just how we behave, this is who we are, and everybody else has to assimilate into that mix some way, shape, or form. And those companies are, are experiencing a lot of problems. Like there's a lot of, uh, you know, reactive measures that are in place, right? Like they have people that are leaving, they have retention issues, they have, uh, sometimes there it's issues have escalated to where there's uh, workplace investigations that are that are taking place. Mm -hmm. And, um, and those clients I work with equally well, just obviously from a very different starting point. Yeah. And so when I, I one of the programs I think that you're you're running, if I if the if I'm right on the name, is called um, "From Bias to Belonging." Mm -hmm. How how do you create that bridge between the work you're doing around biases to bring that belonging um, in the organization for the for the individuals, I imagine as well. Uh, 
Well, I think in an American context, and I know you are, uh, you are currently in Romania. Yes, exactly. And, and I'm currently in the United States and in California. Um, I think uh, in, a, in an American context, and I, I assume it's somewhat true to a greater or lesser degree in, in a European context, mm -hmm. There, there, there's a, you know, there was a, a, a very intentional, explicit effort that started, let's just call it 25, 30, maybe 40 years ago, right, to a mm -hmm. lesser degree, of diversifying the workforce. I, I distinctly remember uh, corporate America saying diversity, you know, we need to tolerate diversity. That's the initial mm -hmm. language that was used. Mm -hmm. and, uh, and at the time, that was groundbreaking, right? But when you think about it and step back and look at it through a different lens, <laughs> especially today, you tolerate a rash, right? Like you tolerate something you want to go away. It was not really groundbreaking. I mean, it was groundbreaking for the time because there was no focus on diversity, no attention given to diversity, but diversity was to be tolerated. And that, you know, didn't, it lasts very long until, you know, the same sort of public corporate consciousness said we need to have more inclusive environments. We can't, mm -hmm. you know, we hire people of color and then they don't stick around. Why is that? Hmm. Well, uh, you, you have a culture that's not really inclusive of people of color. Yep. And so there was the extension of diversity and inclusion, d &I. Mm -hmm. And, you know, if you play that out over, a period of time, you also then started getting into uh, questions of, of equity, right? Mm -hmm. If you really are going to be inclusive of different types of people, well, we need some different structures in place that are going to allow people to really participate in a more meaningful way inside of this organization. Mm -hmm. So now you have diversity, equity, inclusion, DEI has now taken on a, you know, there are DEI committees, there, there's uh, DEI um, officers within certain organizations. Uh, there's, you know, this area has really um, ballooned. I mean, it, it's real, it's, it's grown to now, it's not uncommon, especially on the, the West Coast with very, uh, that, that proactive type of company mm -hmm. to say, we want to create a culture of belonging. So you have DEIB, diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. Mm -hmm. And my program, you know, starts with bias. So you can deepen your understanding of what the, the more pernicious uh, biased processes are within an organization. Like mm -hmm. how are these things contributing to a culture that's being, you know, more exclusionary than it is inclusionary and using bias as both a linguistic and conceptual framework, we can move conversations from bias to fostering a greater sense of belonging, yeah. to allow people to see themselves in the context of their work. Because mm -hmm. that's one of the unconscious needs that I think the modern workplace is performing for, for, every, for, for everybody, right? You, 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 you go, you, you belong to this organization, right? Like you sign up, you are committing to work within that organization, but we don't think of it in those kind of psychological terms.
Mm-hmm. No, that's very true indeed. And um, and and I can definitely um, add up that this is something that is that is coming up. Okay, maybe not maybe not as fast as in the US, but uh, in in Europe it's it's coming up. And I think we're going to find similar challenges and struggles as well in that journey. Um, maybe a little bit behind at the moment, but moving much much faster. I think than than we we think it is actually. And so if I if I come back to um, a little bit about the the beginning of that work in creating that kind of um, that structure, where I, I love how you you phrased it with the kind of the um, creating that that space where people can have those conversations. Um, one of the things I always like to think about is myself and how can I become a more inclusive person, uh, but as well create a, a better sense of belonging around me. If I go back to the essence of biases, which often we talk about unconscious biases, how can I do some work to, to kind of overcome some of these biases that actually maybe hinder me in terms of creating that inclusivity and that belonging. Well, so at, at, a, at an individual level, I think, because being unconscious, I think the, the struggle I have is to think, how do I ever know whether I'm getting better or not? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. Um, and there's there's a lot going on uh, with the first part, and then I think there's also a lot going on with the second part of that question. Um, the first part, it, it's you know, it's it's one thing to become aware of uh, of an unconscious bias, um, but the problem with unconscious biases is that when they're impacting you and those around you you may not be aware of it. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I think that's, that's part of the reason why as an individual, you can't, um, you know, you can't just rely on yourself mm. because we are, we're limited in our own capacity. We're limited in our own conscious uh, perceptions of the world. And, Yet we, we, we forget that and we, we, we're all guilty of, 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 you know, falling into that mental trap of this is it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. I'm focused on my job. This is what's important to me. I need to get this done. And, uh, you know, we forget that we're now subject to all of these unconscious biases that may lead to, you know, at minimum miscommunication mm-hmm. uh, and at worst, you know, traumatizing somebody. Uh, and so I think the, um, you know, the more that you can foster a sense of, of psychological safety within your immediate people that you're interacting with the most mm-hmm. on every given day, right? So that when somebody does say, hey, Julian, you know, I think you may have been a little biased in your thinking there in this meeting, your first reaction isn't defensiveness and to try to deny it. Your first reaction is, oh, wow, 
okay, this is an opportunity for me to become a better human being or, 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 or just make a better decision the next time around. Right. So I, I think it's, it's, um, those are indicators of how bias can lead people to, you know, making better decisions for strengthening your relationship, right? Instead of getting defensive and hating this person for calling that out, right? You can then reframe it and feel like they've just called you in. Like now you're closer to that person. You have a mm -hmm. stronger relationship with that person. It's, it's rooted even more in trust because you were open to being vulnerable, right? Like you made a mistake and now you can have an opportunity to, you know, think differently next time or do something different next time. It's, it's very interesting how you're, you're phrasing it because I think this is why it makes it so hard, I think, for people to, um, to face some of these, um, these struggles because you talked about vulnerability, you talked about psychological safety and it's quite a heavy thing when you think about it actually to um to put in place and to put yourself into um but i think what what i hear as well is i think the the, the reward behind is way greater than kind of the pain of going through that process of being vulnerable and being maybe um yeah, sometimes a little bit, I, I, I want to use the almost like that, yeah, a slightly negative connotation word weak, because I think that's that's how it's seen. Unfortunately, being vulnerable often is associated to being weak. Um, but I think, yeah, the, the, the way you're phrasing it, where it brings that reward that is pushing you way beyond where you started, I think makes the, makes the huge difference and the reason why um, it's an important thing to to get into it. Yeah, and I, I mean, I think again, this is probably a what well, not probably this is an oversimplification. But you know, in our brains, when we're using our executive functioning, we can be vulnerable. If it's a if it's an intellectual exercise, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's that's easy. But the problem is the problem begins when it's 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 the origins of that are from more of our our primal brain right if we're if it's an instinctual reaction that you're having often that overrides our executive functioning mm -hmm. and now our executive functioning is just simply justifying the the initial feeling that that was that was stemming from that instinctual reaction. And, uh, and I think, um, you know, a working theory is that our, our brains are still evolving, right? We're not, we're not there yet. We're still wired for fight and flight. We're still wired for a primary physical uh, experience in the world and uh, in a communal, you know, experience in the world when it comes to other people. And, uh, you know, we live in a world where it's, it's, um, you know, those instincts, uh, I think we, we, we may over rely on them, uh, in many mm -hmm. cases. And, uh, yeah, so it's not a blanket statement. It's far more nuanced than that, but I think, um, you know, we need to continue, uh, evaluating 
the origins of where these impulses are coming from. I, I, I know we're, we're, we're coming close to, to the time we're spending together, but I want to ask you a very personal question. What's the most difficult bias that you had to, um, yeah, to overcome? Oh God, my own, uh, my own internalized sense of whiteness. Um, it reared its, uh, it reared its head. And when my children were in school, probably like second or third grade, when my son, my oldest was in second or third grade and, uh, and he was being categorized by the principal as uh, a student of color. My wife, my wife, I jokingly described her as she represents as black as I am white, but it's so much more nuanced than that. My wife is actually identifies as Latina. Her first uh, language is, um, is Spanish. She originates from Bolivia in South America, and she's Afro-Bolivian. So there's a lot of nuance and layers there in her identity. And, you know, I'm Midwestern, American, white, cisgender, male, and our children are a product of that, right? Mm -hmm. Like, so they have their own uh, sense of identity in the world now. But, you know, the first time that, that you know, my children were being um, cast into this student of color mode, it, I had this visceral reaction. Like, I feared mm -hmm. for their, on their behalf, like, oh my gosh, they're going to be treated less than because they're not being perceived as a white student. Mm -hmm. And that was probably one of the hardest moments uh, for me to even accept that like this is the origins of that. It's like this internalized sense of whiteness that, that, that white is really the, you know, the, the baseline of, of where I'm, you know, where this is coming from. So, so I think you know, there's a, there's a lot of institutionalized biases that uh, favor white. Mm -hmm. And I think it's, it's true, not just in the United States. I think it's true all over the planet where mm -hmm. there's evidence that lighter skinned complex, you know, lighter complexions get more favorable treatment. They're viewed mm -hmm. as more beautiful and they're, you know, they're, there's preferential treatment that's given uh, based on a lighter complexion. And, you know, I'm on a mission to, to disrupt that. Like, I don't want, you know, I don't want to be unconsciously influenced by that, even mm -hmm. though I think to a, 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 you know, to a degree we all are. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. And it was a, it, it was a very interesting point of view and I can totally relate with that as well. Um, I should not say relate actually, because I'm not in the same situation, but I, I it made me, think and uh and ponder on it and i will continue that process actually because it's 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 a very interesting way to to think about it and i've never thought about how do i um kind of look at that bias myself so thank it's, you very much for sharing that yeah it's 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 fascinating because it's it, it can easily be extended to a cultural bias Right. Mm -hmm. Like, like, you know, there's, there's, there's rampant stereotypes about French feeling like they're superior to everybody around them. Mm 
right? So like, it's not whiteness in that case per se, maybe there's some, if you get farther into the conversation, there might be some complexion preferences. But uh, I think a similar dynamic plays out with, you know, with cultures and with countries mm -hmm. and with, uh, you know, people overvaluing how they identify. I think that's, you know, going back to like me bias, that's just a manifestation of it. Definitely do not go and, and say anything bad about French food to a French person. You're going to have a bad time, that's for sure. Um, and, and there is definitely probably a bias behind that. Um, and, and, and I'm guilty of it, that's for sure. I'm very, very proud of, uh, of my cuisine, for sure. Um, so one of the things, and I, I want to, to and myself and the listeners to understand a little bit more how, um, how you do that to finish up as well. You mentioned about that mission to, to disrupt that. Um, how do you make that happen? What's, how do you create that mission and how can people actually um, get in touch with you if they want to learn more about, um, about that disruption that you've started? Well, I think um, an easy way, if, if this, if the way that I described bias and the bias ecosystem and cognitive biases versus social biases versus institutionalized biases, if that conceptual model resonates with you, then you can go to my website and, uh, and take a very simple bias assessment, right? It's the first thing you'll see on the website. And uh, it takes like four to six minutes to answer some questions, but then it gives you a breakdown of you know, where you're at with your responses and how, how you know, likely you are to have, to be impacted by one or more of those cognitive biases. I, I narrowed the research down to five that I think are most common in every workplace, but that can be extended out to your day-to-day, -day, you know, activities. Yep. So I think yep. there's a practical measure in that. It's, you know, it's, it's intriguing. Uh, it's always, you know, I think, uh, intriguing to learn more about how your brain is uh is operating and um you know that may be a basis for wanting to learn more definitely i actually did it myself and uh, and it was very interesting to look at the results i will i will ah. i will continue the work i will continue the work on that Great. Well, good, good, good. And come join us for the inclusive leadership in a virtual world. I know you are, uh, Julian, you're also joining that uh, on Wednesdays at 10 o'clock Pacific time. Um, so there's a gratuitous plug for that. Uh, that's also on my company website, percipiocompany.com. Um, and uh, those are two very easy ways to start this lifetime journey of mm -hmm. discovery. And, and I was going to say, actually, I was going to mention about the, um, the, the weekly meeting. I think it's a great place. Um, and just before we started the podcast, we we're talking about it a little bit as well. And there are some wonderful people. You have a guest speaker every week as well who talks about a, various topics um, around um, inclusive leadership. And I think it is indeed a, a great place to be for networking with people who have similar struggles who have also similar maybe stories or completely different struggles and completely different stories but that we can learn from as well so it's definitely a great place and I'll put all the links um, in the in the episode notes as well for people to be able to reach out 
Oh, beautiful. And thank you for doing what you're doing, Julian. This is, uh, you know, to, to approach diversity, um, you know, with this model of being two peas in a pod, I think is, uh, is a great way to do it because, you know, we do have far more in common with one another than we do have different. Uh, I think our, you know, because of our cognitive limitations, we tend to, to, to over accentuate the differences. Mm. No, very true. And thank you very much as well for being part of this journey. Um, I hope we'll, we'll, uh, we'll have you again, maybe on another topic or deeper deep dive, deep dive on, on some of these. So thank you so much for being here with me today. Bring it on. It's great to, great to speak with you. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media or leave a rating and review. We'd love to hear from you. To catch all the latest from us, you can follow us on Instagram, Facebook or YouTube at as diverse as two peas in a pod. Thanks again and I'll see you next time.